It's that time of year. As the holidays roll around and fiscal years typically come to a close, so too does the annual performance evaluation cycle. So, in this episode, I cover a subject that may be very top of mind for a lot of you, year-end evaluations and ratings, how to approach them, what they are, and what they can mean for you. Welcome to another episode of the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast with me, Patrick Dedrick, where we talk about career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. So today we're talking about year-end evaluations and ratings. Now, I'll be honest, this post is a little backwards. I actually meant to do a development plan post at the beginning of this year, and we'll get to that, but we're going to start with the end of the cycle first because that's kind of where we are right now in the year. So this will be part of a three-part series around the development plan cycle. We're going to start here. Then do an episode on giving, receiving, and actioning feedback, and finally wrap up with an episode on building a development plan for the year ahead. Again, kind of feels a little bit backwards, but feels more natural based on typically where we are in the year and the process. So whether you're part of an organization with a formal evaluation and review process, or you're conducting a bit of self-evaluation for personal development, this process can absolutely hold a lot of value. Now, Most of the content I've gathered experience around that I really wish that I'd known earlier in my career pertains to the more structured, organizationally driven process, and we're going to spend most of our time there. That being said, there can still be a lot of value around having a personal check-in for evaluating your year if you've got your own goals that you're keeping outside of your organization or your job. Now, what are those goals that you set out to achieve? Did you create milestones for yourself that you're able to track against? And this could look like something related to maybe a physical goal of training to run something like a half marathon, or maybe a small business goal of getting a business license and starting up your website. Now, while achieving these goals is the obvious destination and why you set out to set the goals to begin with, part of that year-end evaluation process is actually being able to reflect on not just the destination of each goal, but what you've learned along the journey in getting there. Building that website from our made-up example Maybe you learn that those aren't the skills that you want to develop further, and you learn that maybe next time you'd rather hire a professional and just provide creative direction. That half marathon training plan, maybe you learn that you need to shake up your routine and instead of training in the evenings, you found that your best runs were in the morning and you want to reshape your schedule for next year. Ultimately, what I love about these evaluations is that it's a chance for you to reflect on what you learned and think about how you can apply it moving forward. Now, Do you find that you don't always have, or maybe you typically don't have personal goals to think back on? That's not a reason to get down on yourself, but if you do find that you didn't set intentional goals for yourself and you don't see yourself moving closer to the things that you want, then this could be a wake-up call that you need to do something different, and setting objectives or a development plan might be exactly what you're looking for. Now, we can move on a little bit and go to the more structured organizational performance evaluations that people typically think about when they think about this subject. However, for those that may be newer to the larger corporate environment or might be looking to ground it in some common language and assumptions for this episode, it typically follows that every year marks not only a business and financial cycle, but also a cycle for each employee based on at least their performance against set business objectives. And for those lucky enough to work for organizations that place emphasis on it, also on their personal development and growth. Business objectives are typically cascaded from the top down, which means that there are likely objectives that are set at the highest level of the organization and are typically pretty vague. Then at the next level down in the organization, those objectives are translated into more specific and actionable goals and measures, and so on down until you get to each individual. For example, 
let's say we've got this made-up company that has a high-level goal of increasing market share by 5% over the next year. That might then look like a supply chain development or department goal of increasing supply chain responsiveness and agility by 10%. This could then translate down into a manufacturing plant goal, a level below that, to cut machine change over time by half. Then maybe that goes even further down to an operator level that uh, then has a goal to create a standard process for the machine that they work on and complete quarterly trainings to improve that process. Now, this is just an example. And like I mentioned, actually setting goals will come in part three of the series. So this is kind of a teaser. Now, when it comes to year-end evaluations, I'm going to talk about two different perspectives, that of the individual and that of the manager. My hope is that as I go through the perspective of the individual, you can get a feel for how you can evaluate yourself. Maybe learn a few different perspectives that you can apply moving forward. And then by going into the perspective of the manager, I'll give you some insight, at least based on my experience, for how managers might conduct evaluations of you. Now, first, to continue the thread of the last example, I'll go into the individual perspective. So when it comes to year-end evaluations, it's not uncommon for there to be organizational systems in place, typically through your HR function, to facilitate the process. As an individual, there are three main components of the evaluation that you can control. You can set objectives clearly, and this acts as kind of the watermark uh, that you're agreeing to be measured against. Getting feedback. This can come from peers, internal customers, or other stakeholders. And then reflecting on your performance. This is the evidence you can provide and work on, uh, and, and the work you can cite as proof of how you feel you performed. Like I mentioned, this is part one of the three-part series, and setting objectives and giving and receiving feedback will be covered in the next two episodes. So to just talk about that evaluation process, in my experience, it feels like every year I set out with new objectives and I swear that I'm going to document the things that I've done throughout the year as they happen. This might look like taking time every month to keep a running list of things that I've done towards my objectives. So then when it comes to the end of the year, most of the work is actually done for me. I've got a list to choose from. Alternatively, without that kind of progressive tracking, the year-end evaluation activity can not only look like a frantic rush to rack your brain and make sure you get credit for all you did in the past year, but there's actually also a high risk that you're going to forget something. Or worse yet, maybe the list of accomplishments you've built up at that end of the year, they don't necessarily line up with your initial goals. Effectively making it look like you've been working on the wrong things all year. Maybe not the wrong things, but at least not the things that you said you were going to. Now, it's not to say that objectives can't change or that they're so inflexible that you should only focus on those few called out during the beginning of the year, but more that at least you can be intentional about where you focus your time if you keep regular check-ins on where you're focusing your energy. Now, one way that I've recently started to document, track, and measure progress against my objectives and goals is by using the 64-window chart that I detailed in episode 6 of this podcast as a critical part of the Harada method. Now, for a refresher, in case you don't frequently revisit old episodes of this podcast for fun in your free time, here's a little refresher. First, you start with your big goal for the year. In the case of how I use uh, this in a corporate setting, I start with something big and vague. So this year, it was receive and exceeds expectations rating and get closer towards being a viable candidate for a posting abroad. Now, it sees expectations isn't exactly as vague as it might sound, and I'll talk more about ratings as part of evaluations in a bit, so just hang with me for one minute. Now, once you have that big goal, you can break it down into smaller goals. And once you have those goals, you can break those down into even smaller objectives. It's at this level that those goals are meant to be something that you can actually get after right now. 
These might be those milestones that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. So much like cascading objectives I talked about before, this is a way to break down your ambitious goal into discrete actions that you can actually feel confident about putting energy behind. So you start with your big goal in the middle of a three by three grid. Then in the other eight surrounding boxes of that grid, divide those up into nine squares or do another three by three grid. Then come up with eight smaller goals that contribute to your main goal. These will each go into one of the center squares. When you come up with those eight smaller goals, now you try and find somewhat distinct goals uh, that are separate from one another. So finally, for each of those eight goals, come up with eight actions that you can take that will move you towards reaching those smaller goals and put those in the eight surrounding boxes for those goals in their respective square grids. Now you have one grid with one large goal eight smaller goals, and 64 actions you can take to achieve your bigger goal. Now, 64 actions might sound like a lot of work to come up with, and to be honest, it really is. But if you think about all the things you do over the course of a year, and you do the math, this is going to be just under one and a quarter actions per week. So 52 weeks in a year, 64 actions. If you complete about one and a quarter per week, you should be able to accomplish each of those actions. So really, for the upfront investment of a few hours at the beginning of the year, you get all the benefit of potentially having your entire year planned out for how you can achieve something that you really want. Now, I get this might be a little hard to visualize, so if it would help, I've created a blank template that you can download for free, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or if you want to talk about how you can build one of these 64 window charts for yourself, by all means, please shoot me an email and we can chat. Now, it wasn't perfect when I built this, but as I used this method this year for tracking my own performance, I did find that it helped to keep me on track. There were some actions I was able to cross off the list almost coincidentally. They were just part of my job. While others, I'd find that I couldn't remember why they made sense to begin with. As I got into actually doing the work for the year, I was finding these actions I prescribed for myself didn't actually seem to be moving in the direction I wanted. So when it came time to do my own self-evaluation, I felt I had a pretty good handle of where I had accomplished what I'd set out to do, what I'd accomplished that was initially not scoped at the beginning of the year, and maybe where I missed the mark a little bit. Now, while it's important for you as an individual to assess yourself and how you feel you performed over the past year. From an organizational standpoint, the obvious foil to this self-evaluation is that of the manager evaluation, with the output of, from that process being the annual performance rating. So here's where I can share a bit about my own experiences from this perspective from a few different employers. It's by no means meant to be definitive for the rating process as a whole, or even standard practice across all teams and functions that the employers I've had experiences with. To be completely honest, even where there are standards, I've been on teams where each manager had different standards and expectations for the review and rating process. So here are just a few things that I've seen that may help to provide you with some perspective when it comes to ratings at larger organizations. Now, typically, ratings fall somewhere on a five-point scale and have pretty common verbiage and implications from my experience. Starting at the bottom of the scale, there's something like unsatisfactory, definitely not where you want to be. Then you move up and there's below expectations, a little bit better, but really still not great. Then meets expectations right in the middle, exceeds expectations, and then finally outstanding, or something like that. Your organization might have different naming conventions around all these, but I'd venture a guess that what the ratings mean are going to be pretty consistent. So starting in the middle, meets expectations typically means just that. You met the expectations of your role for the year. While this might be thought of as a fairly middling rating, after all, it does sit in the middle of the scale. Every organization I've worked for that had this as a rating assures their workforce that it's not meant to be a C rating on the normal school grading scale. This is actually a good rating. You did what was expected of you. 
And after I go through all the ratings a bit, I'll talk about the possible implications of the ratings, which actually might further influence how you feel about this rating beyond what it says about your performance. So it could influence whether or not you really feel that it's the rating that you want to shoot for. So moving up the rating scale, there's the exceeds expectations rating, which usually means that you've gone above and beyond what was expected of your role and likely what you had contracted through your development plan around what you set out to accomplish. Relative to your peers, you likely did not only higher quality of work, but also likely were more prolific or productive in producing outputs. Then capping out this rating hierarchy is the outstanding rating. Even more than with exceeds, this rating usually connotes a sense of mastery of the role. You likely didn't just crush one project, but consistently blew expectations out of the water. You're noticeably head and shoulders above your peers and likely even stood out among cross-functional peers. And this kind of rating is a good signifier that you're likely capable of roles that are a level above where you are and maybe, maybe even have potential beyond that. Needless to say, these ratings are typically very rare. Now, for the less fun side of the rating scale, there's below expectations. None of these ratings carry any inherent sense of profundity, and below expectations is generally meant to convey a sense of lacking in the past year's performance. So of all the places I've worked, nobody ever likes to get this rating. But it's also generally meant to indicate that there are a couple of areas in which you could have improved. Likely, you're delivering subpar results either in the realm of quality or quantity, or maybe even both. More than anything, this rating should act as a wake-up call or a leaping off point for the following year, so that there's a clear understanding of what needs to be improved upon. That being said, the implications and in individual intent being given this rating can and likely vary between companies and even managers, and I promise we're still going to get to that. So finally, we have the least enviable rating, unsatisfactory, or something similarly, similarly reflective of poor performance. Usually, this rating means that you've really missed the mark and are in serious need of intervention in order to turn your performance around. Oftentimes, this rating is an indicator of a need for a performance improvement plan, or a much less threateningly abbreviated PIP. This is a term used to describe a robust, intentional plan to help close glaring gaps in performance at best, and at worst, it's the necessary precursor that managers use to begin separating someone from the business. In other words, the firing process. So unfortunately, I've seen these ratings used for both purposes, with the former being much more uh, desirable in its application. Overall, there's really nothing too revolutionary or anything necessarily profound about these ratings, like I said. Odds are you can kind of guess at what they all mean. The nuance and difference comes with what these ratings may mean beyond a testament to the last year of work. Now, when I say meaning, I mean beyond just what I just described. So rather, I'm referring to the implications that ratings can have. In addition to going on your employee record, your rating also typically carries with it some kind of financial impact. If you're lucky enough to hold a job that includes an annual bonus as a component of your compensation, then your rating might affect a multiplier to your bonus. For example, a meets expectations might not impact your bonus, but a below expectations might reduce your bonus payout and act as something like a 75% multiplier, while an exceeds expectations might increase your bonus and look something like a 150% multiplier. Overall, not too shabby. On top of that, your rating might dictate the range you could be eligible for in a pay increase for the next year. For example, it could be that your baseline annual raise range is 3 to 5%. So maybe a below expectations has a range of 1% to 2%, while an exceeds expectations might have a range of 6% to 7%. In short, one of the most common ways for your rating to be applied is through financial incentive. The psychology is pretty straightforward and merit-based. This doesn't mean that this logic is used in the same way by all employers. I've worked for some that have used ratings to drive both bonus multipliers as well as merit increases, while at others it impacts one but not the other. 
And I've actually worked places where the rating had no bearing on any kind of raise or bonus whatsoever. This is more meant to illustrate the kind of financial impacts that the rating could have and give you an idea of the kinds of things you could ask questions about as you look to learn more about your own organization. Now, what might be a little less straightforward and unique to each individual is the personal meaning behind the rating. For some, the rating might not carry more weight than any kind of financial impact it could have, while for others, the increased bonus might mean very little, and the rating may be more of an external justification and recognition of the hard work put in over the last year. And there's any blend of those two things or even other dimensions not mentioned here. Now, one personal story I can offer to illustrate how ratings can mean wildly different things for two individuals is from a conversation I had with a close work friend right after we got our ratings a few years ago. Now, we were both upset because we got a meets expectation rating, and we both felt that we'd put in a level of work over the past year to justify something higher. We shared stories about the kinds of work we did, the projects we delivered, the deadlines we surpassed, especially when we put it into relation to some of our peers where we thought we'd really done more than they had. And eventually, as we kind of ran out of steam uh, to let off, my friend eventually found peace with his rating by rationalizing that the bonus multiplier he'd miss out on for not getting a higher rating wasn't worth the stress and angst he was dwelling on. I think his exact words were something like, it's only a few, few thousand dollars, so whatever. Now, never mind that he was in a very different financial situation, so to him, that increased bonus of a few thousand dollars might not have made a big difference. But overall, for me, it wasn't even thinking about the incremental pay. It was about feeling like my work wasn't recognized. There isn't a right or wrong way to think about ratings. It can actually be deeply personal, and you need to figure out for yourself what they can mean and how that meaning may incentivize or disincentivize your performance. Now, some of the less savory or more cynical opinions or thoughts about ratings have to do with the idea of a forced distribution or the idea that for a team or an organization, the ratings given need to follow a kind of bell curve with the majority of employees getting a meets with fewer, but some getting below and exceeds ratings and fewer still getting the fringe ratings of the highest and lowest ratings. Now, to some extent, there's likely some natural tendency for ratings to follow this kind of distribution. In a functioning organization or on a specific team, it's really likely that the majority of the individuals are performing their duties as expected, so they meet expectations. Regardless of whether or not there's a forced distribution to follow that's intentionally imposed, the important thing to remember is that if there are financial incentives tied to ratings, then there almost necessarily has to be some kind of zero-sum methodology to ratings. So in my experience, based on the performance of the company over the past year, there's typically a fixed bucket of money for a team to distribute either through annual raises or bonuses or both. So this implies that how the money gets divvied up based on ratings needs to work out to a specific total. Now, there are any number of ways that that math can work out, especially if there are ranges, but ultimately it comes down to the arithmetic that if one person gets a larger bonus multiplier based on their higher rating, then someone or some ones need to get a lower bonus, which often manifests through lower ratings. So this may not sound like a very appealing reality, but the math is what it is. Which brings me to the final part of this episode and the role of the manager throughout this process. So hopefully, if you're responsible for leading a team and performing all the managerial duties that go along with that charge, then you have regular connects with your team and you keep up with them on their development and performance. Now, the goal of this ultimately is to help keep your team uh, uh, on track to be as successful as possible and avoid any unpleasant surprises come year-end evaluations. The worst thing is to have someone come into an annual performance conversation and think they're deserving of a higher rating than you believe, and for it to be a complete surprise to them. Worse yet is if you're both way off from each other, like if they think they exceeded expectations and you rated them as being at below expectations. 
hopefully. If someone on your team is not on track to meet expectations, then you've been giving them the feedback throughout the year as soon as possible and giving them the resources they need to get on track, whether that's specific direction, additional time and attention, training or coaching, or any or all of the above. Ideally, as you come into a year-end evaluation with your team, you're able to reinforce messaging that you've been giving all year and collaborating with the employee on how they can do even better. Looking for opportunities for specific development, offering specific support that might enable their success, and when appropriate, even helping them think about what might be in their best interest for what they could eventually do as a next role. In short, and perhaps more gruffly put than necessary, when it comes to not only delivering year-end evaluations, but also putting in the effort for the year leading up to that point, it's the role of the manager to actually give a shit. As a leader of people, it's your responsibility to actually take the time to lead and develop your team, to give them what they need to be the best that they can. It isn't just about signing off on a rating at the end of the year, but making sure that the rating they receive is well understood, truly reflective of their performance, and speaks to the entire year of work, not just a handful of isolated events. Now, if this sounds like a lot of work, well, when done right, it actually is. I don't mean to be too heavy about this, but I have some pretty strong feelings about this based on some pretty poor experiences in the past, which thankfully have been more than offset by some truly amazing experiences with evaluations as well. So to illustrate some of the less positive experiences in this space, I can offer a couple examples of what I believe to be managerial missteps when it comes to delivering year-end ratings. First is something that I call the feedback cop-out. This looks like getting a rating and feedback that might seem well thought out on the surface, but the feedback doesn't necessarily carry a lot of weight, or when probed for some more actionable insight, quickly falls apart as some boilerplate response without specific examples. Ultimately, it shows that the manager likely decided what your rating should be, and then filled in the commentary as best as possible to justify that rating, which is really the backwards approach that a meaningful rating should come from. Now to show what this could look like, one year I got a rating that I didn't entirely agree with. And in my evaluation with my manager, I asked for some specific details on where I'd fallen short of a higher rating so that I could actually double down on those areas for next year. In this case, it was around the area of delivering business results. So on top of actually asking for that specific area, I asked if they could point me to someone on the team that they thought was doing a really good job at this so I could go and learn from them. So overall, that part of the conversation actually went pretty well. I feel that I had actionable feedback and I could go and learn on how to do better. And I felt good about it until I went to go ask that other employee that I was referred to for how they approached their success in delivering business results. Now, when I went to go talk to them, they actually gave me kind of a puzzled look. And they looked at me that way because they had gotten the same rating as me and at no point were they highlighted as delivering exceptional business results. So really, the feedback I got was kind of a way to just brush me aside, and I don't honestly think that the manager thought I was going to follow through, because ultimately, there was nothing actionable I could do, and nothing that I could learn from this other employee. Now, the other pitfall I'd caution against when it comes to taking shortcuts for ratings is the it's-out-of-my-hands approach. This typically looks like delivering a rating that might be lower than what the employee expects, and when challenged, giving the excuse along the lines of, well, I wanted to give you an exceeds that you deserve, but when I pitched it to the rest of the management team, they wouldn't let me. It can also look a, like a bit of fair sharing for higher ratings. Well, you got an exceeds last year and we can't give it to you two years in a row. We have to give somebody else a turn. Or, you know, we've only got two of those to give out and really these two other people did a little bit better job than you. Now, it's not to say that there might be some managerial cultures where these things could be absolutely valid. However, I'd highly encourage not staying in a culture where this is the case. That's just me. But nonetheless, it might not be entirely the fault of the manager in these cases. 
However, even if these things are true, at the very least, there should be more feedback and actionable direction that can be given as a part of the evaluation that goes beyond blaming the rating on forces outside of the manager's control. Now, that about does it. We've talked about year-end evaluations and ratings from an introspective personal lens and from the lens of a more formal organizational review process, what they can look like, what they can mean, both developmentally and financially, and some things to watch out for as a manager when performing reviews and delivering ratings in year-end conversations. So how about you? What have been your experiences with year-end ratings? Do you have any other advice on how to approach the process, either from the viewpoint of an individual or as a manager? Or maybe you feel like I'm way off base. For all the above, I'd love to hear from you. So please send me your thoughts at patrick at prgscoach.com. And with that, I'll sign off with, a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.